Welcome to another episode of The Unsexy Startup. This is the platform that unites founders and talks about what it truly takes to build a company, not just the highlights. With your host, Samai Parikh, and a huge thanks to Raj Singh for helping me put this podcast together. On this episode, we have co-founder and CTO Jason Tillery of BuildOut on a talk about the challenges of building a product at seed stage and how to navigate through those waters to develop a great technology. BuildOut is a web application marketing commercial real estate. It produces and publishes custom materials and streamlines the entire property listing process. BuildOut has worked with companies across the country to develop an easy-to-use tool that will showcase their brand, saving time, money, and growing their business. Jason, thank you for hopping on the podcast. You're the first CTO we have on here. Thanks, Samai. That was a great intro. Um, I'm Jason Tillery, the co-founder and CTO of BuildUp. We do exactly what Samai said. Thanks for the introduction, Jason. I wanted, I wanted to jump right into these questions. Um, you've been running BuildUp for about seven years now, which is quite some time. Um, but let, let's take a step back and uh, think about the beginning. Uh, what was the story behind BuildUp and how did you transition from your former company, ThinkLink? Sure. That takes us back probably about 10 years. Um, my partner and I worked at a financial software company uh, automating advice for 401k accounts. And we were just talking one night after a big project that we should probably start something ourselves. And, you know, we probably had had a couple too many drinks at the bar, but we decided to go into work the next day and hand in our resignations and jump in the deep end. Uh, we didn't have any idea what we were going to do. And we started our company about 20 minutes before the Great Recession. So that was perfect timing. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah, it was rough. Uh, then we had to figure out what we were going to do. So we, as many software startups do, started by consulting to pay the bills and then building some products and seeing what would stick. Um, our first few products were basically total failures as businesses. They were very cool, technically. And we did get a decent amount of press. But when it came time to get people's credit card numbers, we started having trouble. So we spent a few years building a handful of B2C companies, um, ThinkLink, was the last one. Uh, we actually called it ThinkLinker. It was a real-time collaborative outlining tool. And we learned a lot technically about how to build, you know, desktop-like web applications. And we also learned that it wasn't a good idea to just build something that was cool. So this was probably around 2010. We decided that we weren't going to do another project until we knew we could sell it. So, and we'd also decided we were only going to target businesses, no more consumer software. So we were looking around for what to do, and we found this industry, commercial real estate, that we were told didn't have very much software, uh, and it turned out to be true. So we kind of filtered through what different things we could target. We chose marketing as a great place to start, and we just went out to a broker, and we told him that we had this awesome software that would automate everything he did for marketing. Of course, we didn't have any software at all. Um, but we told him that nonetheless, we told him it was a hundred bucks a month and he just pulled out his credit card right there. He said, all right, let's get started. And then after a round of high fives, we settled in and found out that we had to 
do all of his marketing. So we did that by hand. It took about 80 hours a week for six months. The whole time we were just automating as much of it as we could. And after that, after we automated enough and freed up enough time, we went out and found a second client, automated some more, figured out what things were unique to their company, and repeated the process for about a year until we'd added on enough clients that we thought, okay, now we're ready to start scaling. Uh, it turns out we weren't, but we went ahead and started anyway. We sold a big national account, and from there we kind of learned a lot, refined the product, grew for about a year, and then started hiring. And and from there, it's, it's kind of interesting. So you, you, I think you did it the smart way, right? I see so many founders... Um, building so much of their product and then going to market and realizing nobody wants it. But you guys actually went out and did the logical thing, which was to try to pitch it before. And it's, it seems like it was, that was the product market fit when the guy, the, the real estate developer was like, you know what, I'm going to whip out my credit card. And, and then you had to figure out how to build this technology on the back end. Um, was this, was this different or was this more of a surprise compared to previous endeavors you had before, like ThinkLink and the other ones that didn't go anywhere before that? Like, were you shocked when this actually happened? You know, we almost did it backwards in the previous ones. We figured out the kinds of problems people were having and then solved them one by one, but we didn't attack something people were willing to pay for. This time we went out and verified that this was, in fact, something that people needed help with and were willing to spend a decent amount of money on. And then once we started, we figured out quickly the sort of scope of the problem they were having. It was a much more complicated domain than we expected. And the challenges, some of them were technically so much more complicated than anything we'd worked on before. It really took years and years to build enough software to really fully automate this process. I think doing it ourselves was sort of the key component. I think you'll find that there's no better source of refined tools than in the development community. Developers build these great tools for themselves because they completely understand the problems that they're having. So by going out and forcing ourselves to actually do commercial real estate marketing, we were able to gain a pretty deep understanding of that problem. And then from there, build tools that only did the things that people needed. I, I actually had an episode with uh, Judd Schoenholtz of Open Listings uh, on about how the small wins were the sexiest and they keep you motivated with the long-term picture and just seeing that time frame, even now, seven years, rewinding back, what was the sexiest moment you've experienced with product within the first years of build-out and why? Hmm. I'd say the, the sexiest win was probably when we presented our software at the sort of annual conference for our first big national firm. We had been working on it for a few years at this point. We closed the deal. This is where they were announcing that they were going to be replacing all of their homegrown backend tools that people weren't super happy with, uh, with our software. And nobody knew who we were. And we got up on stage and presented to, I can't remember exactly, maybe about a thousand brokers this tool that we built and what they were going to be working with every day. And we got a really great response, standing ovation. Everybody was, you know, nobody knew who we were when we got there, but everybody wanted to talk to us after we were done presenting. It was a great moment. It felt like a huge win and really led into a period of time that was by far the most unsexy time in build out history. 
Tell us more about that unsexy time you had building out the current product. Like, how did you feel this was the unsexiest moment? And, and how is that unsexy moment beneficial to the larger growth of your product? Sure. So when we we gave that presentation, everybody was cheering and excited. And then we went home to Chicago and prepared to launch uh, a couple weeks later. And then after we did the launch, we thought we were ready. Went from having about 50 users to having over a thousand in one day. And we couldn't have been more shocked at how ready we weren't. Nothing went right. Uh, the system was not prepared to have that volume of usage. The number of edge cases that we weren't considering was just staggering. We were getting hundreds of support cases every day, and we didn't have anyone to help us with it. It was just night after night, sleeping on the floor. Everybody was very nervous. Leadership at that company was nervous. People were starting to second-guess their decision to go with us. And it just took a long time, a lot of long nights to fix each one of the problems individually. Really about a year like that uh, before we righted the ship, had all of their stuff solved, and had turned it around so that everybody was really happy with their decision. But yeah, I'll tell you, that time was tough. But it did prepare us. It made the product really solid. After we had... um after we'd addressed all of those issues, we really had sort of solved the problem of commercial real estate marketing. There weren't really any edge cases left. And it kind of prepared us. I mean, we knew we could get through something like that. So it was something to put future problems into perspective with. And like, you, I remember you were just saying like you were sleeping on the floor some nights, like going through your head, um, if you're open to share, like where there's some days where you're just like, like, man, like you were so involved in the trenches of like building out the product just because of like the excessive amount of demand and just this velocity scaling that was happening from the customer side. Did you feel like sometimes like you didn't know where the North star was or like it felt like a great area? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, especially in those years, 2013 end of 2012, you know, we just had tons of stuff to do. We kept our head down, but it, it was tough to kind of take a step back and see where we were going to end up. And, and what are some challenges CTOs face right now in the initial stages of building a product? Um, how do you think these challenges can be eliminated from your experience? <laughs> I'll let you know when I figure out how to solve them all, but uh, I can tell you a few. One of the big challenges, I think, is that in startup companies, CTOs are really de facto CTOs. You're not going out and hiring someone who's been a CTO for 20 years, what happens is one of the founders goes the route of being the CEO and the other one becomes the CTO or one of your very early developers kind of ends up in that role because they were the ones most involved in building the software. And I think in most cases, you're not really prepared to manage a growing technical organization. You're kind of putting the plane together in the air and that's been a challenge for me because my career has been about solving technical problems. And now there are new sorts of problems, human problems. There's problems with uh, or challenges, I should say, with communicating what's going on in one part of an organization to the remainder of the organization. That's a pretty big challenge and something that I'm working on a lot myself. Uh, another challenge that I think is fairly universal is that there just aren't enough software developers in the world to meet the demand. So 
you're going to have a harder time than you think recruiting. We don't have a huge technical team, but it's been hard to grow it to the size that we have now, and we still have quite a ways to go. That one is just, it just takes a lot of time. You got to do a lot of interviews. You might have to work with recruiters, go to career fairs. You just have to be ready to invest the time and not get sort of down and force yourself to lower your standards. And then there's another, which is, you know, when we started the company, I couldn't get anyone on the phone. It was hard to get in front of brokers, technical partners. So we didn't have any real insight on what we needed to do beyond what our current clients were telling us. On the flip side, when we started, we had very few clients and lots of time to build things right, to, you know, devote to long periods of of software development. We had a small team, so there was no real challenge in communicating. So we were just sort of agile automatically. You know, you couldn't be any other way. But then fast forward a few years, now we have the mirror opposite situation. We have a line of technical partners who want to integrate with our software that's so long that I don't even know who they all are. I can't even field all of the calls anymore. And we have 10,000 plus clients waiting to get their next feature in. So we have plenty of input on what people want. But we have so much to do that we can't really sit back and contemplate what the next thing is and how to perfectly accomplish it. And and then also we have a much larger team. So there's there are challenges with operating as a larger team that don't allow us to just wake up at six in the morning and work until 10 at night without stopping or talking to anyone. It's We have to actively work to be a uh, nimble and agile team. So how to solve that? I think try to take advantage of the fact that you're going to be as agile as you ever will be early on and make the right decisions and make sure you don't waste too much time. And then as you grow, don't let heavy-handed process or a lack of communication slow your team down. Speaking of those challenges, you you know, before you were, it was hard to get in front of people, it was hard to recruit people. Now you guys are scaling, you guys have 10,000 plus customers, which is nuts. What what were some of those challenges as you guys are scaling your, your whole tech team now? Really, it's just a shortage of candidates. I think uh, there aren't enough software developers in the world. So when we have a position that opens in the company, on pretty much every other team except for the software team, we have a line of candidates out the door. Uh, we have people who we would have hired earlier, but we just didn't have enough spots. So it's it's a different sort of challenge just because the top of the funnel is too small. And then we have these sorts of hiring goals now, right? We want to bring on six more software developers in the next six months. And it's tempting to lower your standards or after an interview say, oh, you know, they may get better or, you know, with the right training, we can fit them into the team, or maybe we'll just carve out some set of things that we'll give them. But you really can't do that, or you shouldn't. It's the kind of thing that I think you would regret. So you just have to uh, get yourself out there and be willing to commit a lot of hours to the recruiting effort. And it's it's interesting you say that, that, that there's a lack of uh, software developers or software engineers 
do you feel like three to four years down the road there'll be a a large increase in them since like every industry is being disrupted by technology? I actually think that in three or four years the shortage is going to be even worse, right? I mean, every everybody needs a software developer now. You know, you can't go into a dry cleaner without finding out they have a software developer in the back room. Like, just I think that the the problem will become even more dire and. You know, that's great for people who are software developers. I've seen the average starting salaries go up quite a lot. They've almost doubled out of college since I graduated, um, and that's only been 12, 13 years ago. So I think it's going to be great if you are a, a, a good developer. And I think if you're deciding what to do and you haven't gone to college yet, it's a great career, and you're going to be in demand for the foreseeable future. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't see it getting any better. Um, and, and, and how can new founders and, and CTOs, even if they're founders as well, focus on building a solid product on an early stage company, just based off the experience that you have, what is, what is like one or two things they can do to build a better product early on? Uh, you know, for one, don't just guess at what you should build. You got to go find a customer and figure out what their problems are. But then when you find the customer, don't ask them for solutions. Don't ask them for what they want the product to do. Just keep asking them what their problems are. You need to really understand their problems. And then it's your job to figure out the best way to solve them. If you ask for what solution they're looking for, you're going to end up with something that's convoluted and not that interesting. So it's, it's your job to innovate, but you you don't want to be the one innovating the problems. You're going to have a hard time selling someone a problem that they don't know that they have. And that's, it's interesting you say that. And so going back, like that first, that first broker you guys were talking with that whipped out their credit card. Um, how did you get in front of that broker? <laughs> you know what you can do? Most of what you're doing when you're writing business software is trying to help save people time, I would say. And you know, you're going to have to make a financial case when you sell something. So if you can figure out a way to save people time and money all at once, it makes for an easier sell. So what we did is we looked for brokers who were struggling with their marketing. And you can do that by going on Craigslist and seeing if, you know, somebody is putting out an ad for someone to come help them with, with, with their marketing or whatever problem you're trying to solve. And you can look at what their effort is now. What we did is we found someone who was doing a ton of marketing. He was an independent broker. His material was everywhere, and he was looking for help. So you could tell he was already spending a lot of time, of his own time, doing marketing work, and that he was willing to spend money to have somebody help with it. So by going in and saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to give you back all that time, and we're not going to charge you a salary. We're going to charge you $100 a month. In retrospect, it's not surprising at all that he agreed to it. That's interesting, actually. So out of all places, Craigslist, which I, I didn't even know what people would post about, like a marketing issue or some something like that on there. So that, that's pretty cool that you guys found it through there. And the question, uh, Jason, I had was, um, you know, what what is some advice you would give your younger self, let's say six, six or seven years ago, from what you know now and why? Um, well, six or so years ago, we were working on a build-out. I guess it would be nice to go back and say, this is going to work out. Don't worry. I guess I would probably tell myself to start planning, assuming that things are going to work out. Start 
assuming that you're going to be successful in planning for that future, it's it's pretty easy to deal with a future where your product failed. I've gone through that a few times, but as we become more and more successful, now I'm thinking about what it's going to be like in two years when we have a couple hundred employees and five times more clients and new product challenges. But back then I was really focused just on what challenges I was going to be facing in the next two or three days. Um, so I think maybe I'd give myself that message. And if it's interesting you say that. Do you feel that optimism and really just focusing on that future vision is like the key, even for even myself, even anybody, right? Starting their venture, like they should do that early on, focus on that real strong because that will help them accelerate more, even with the day to day tasks, even the unsexy things that happen. Yeah, I think it would be hard without optimism. I, I never really had any doubts that we would make it, that my partner and I would find something that would be successful. So I didn't have any real despair or anything like that um, with regards to sort of our our future. But it, after a few failed products in particular, it was, it was hard to know what was going to work. Uh, it would have been better, or I should say, now let me back up. Yes, you definitely need to be optimistic, uh, especially since be, you know the, the bigger you get and the more responsibility you feel, you know, whether it's having more clients or having employees that count on you, having a family, you need something to counteract the sort of inevitable crippling self-doubt that you're going to feel as a founder. Jason, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast, my man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Go Moment and Quake Capital and Startup Booths for helping me put this podcast together. If this podcast helped you or you learned something new, please leave an iTunes rating by going to the link I provided below. Until next episode, this is Samai Parikh signing out. <laughs>